The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 22. Hello, and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanritty. At the end of the previous episode, Laertes had just finished his rather long lecture on the dangers of his sister Ophelia's dalliance with Hamlet. Dalliance is certainly a key word right now in the play, as she finally manages to get a word in in response. In response to all of this well-meaning, perhaps even overzealous advice, I ended last time by wondering why exactly Laertes lays it on so thick. In Ophelia's reply, there are a few clues that might enlighten us. I shall the effect of this good lesson keep as watchman to my heart. But, good my brother, do not, as some ungracious pastors do, show me the steep and thorny way to heaven, whiles, like a puffed and reckless libertine, himself the primrose path of dalliance treads, and wrecks not his own reed. Ophelia is quite a fascinating presence in this play. She is most famous for the later scenes in which she goes mad and eventually dies, and all too often the seeds of this decline are sown too early in performance. Here, we meet a smart, even playful woman who's quite capable of matching her brother's oratory. She gently accepts his pep talk, but then tells him that he should practice what he preaches. May he not behave like an ungracious pastor, who would lecture from the pulpit on how the way to heaven is steep and thorny, a route that evidently requires hard work and sacrifice. Ophelia is smart enough to identify the chance of hypocrisy in Laertes' words. Perhaps he has arrived back from Paris with enough of a spring in his step for her to know that it's not really her that might need a lecture on chaste living and the dangers of amorous temptation. It's a bit of a case of physician heal thyself, as she likens Laertes to the kind of preacher who can shriek fire and brimstone and harsh morals to the congregation while living his own life like a puffed and reckless libertine treading the primrose path of dalliance. It's such a glorious word, dalliance. So good Tom Stoppard named an entire play after it, and it encapsulates all the misbehaviour the mind can cram into it. Puffed and reckless are pretty great too. Shakespeare often uses puffed to describe people inflated with pride, but it can mean the more literal sense of fat or distended, as when Falstaff is referred to as a puffed man. Libertines were, of course, to be frowned on for being too dissolute, but there's a great contrast to imagine a puritanical preacher who's a libertine when he's not in his church, out on the aforementioned path of dalliance. Shakespeare uses the primroses again in Macbeth in an even more dramatic image, the primrose way to the everlasting bonfire. Obviously, this is something that he picks up and he runs with. Ophelia is picking up on Laertes' image of gentle flowers that are vulnerable when they first bloom. Primroses are early blossoming plants in spring. She concludes with a phrase that feels fairly obscure to us today and wrecks not his own reed, but all it means is doesn't heed his own teaching. Ophelia's manner of thinking is is quite superb here. She begins with references to watchmen and shepherds, to give the more literal meaning of pastor, subtly assuring her protective brother that she's got the message of care from his words. But she doesn't let him off easily at all, with quite a cheeky repost for Laertes, letting him know that she has his number. Darling Big Brother doesn't get much of a comeback after this. All he gets to say is, Oh, fear me not, completing her last line of verse. Rex not his own read, oh, fear me not. Shakespeare leaves a fun opportunity here for the actors to play with. 
there's any number of ways that Laertes could cut Ophelia off, depending on how the scene is being played. His own advice to her has twice told her what she should fear, and so it's very neat here that he tells her, at the least, she shouldn't fear on his account. He then changes the subject, rather tellingly, and shifts the focus back to his imminent departure. You can almost imagine him pacing the room or checking the door or making sure that maybe it's time to go. He says, I stay too long, but here my father comes. We already met Polonius in the early part of scene two, when Claudius asked for his feelings on Laertes returning to France. We don't get much of an introduction to him in the text, so everything will be determined by the staging of the scene. How important he is, or how involved he might be in the management of the court, and by extension, the whole country. He's something like a senior minister, or perhaps a secretary of state. Some texts introduce him as a councillor, or even in one instance, a Lord Chamberlain. Whatever his role, never explicitly given, we know he's important because Claudius makes such a big deal of him. As you'll remember from earlier in the play, the head is not more native to the heart, the hand more instrumental to the mouth, than is the throne of Denmark to thy father. It turns out there's a perennial argument that perhaps Shakespeare based the character of Polonius on William Cecil, Lord Burley, who occupied for a great many years a similar position in the court of Elizabeth I. Exuberant arguments can be made for both sides, but the major evidence is that, yes, they had similar posts at court. Polonius in the court of Claudius and Burley in the court of Elizabeth. They also both had sons who studied in Paris and they both had smart daughters. We will see what other similarities there may be as we go along. Personally, I find it very interesting that there might be a connection between the two, but the tricky thing is that the tie-in doesn't really go anywhere. It's not really uh, illuminating to what kind of a character Polonius is, and it doesn't really reflect the circumstances of how Burley's life ended either. And Shakespeare doesn't really go in for veiled caricatures or allusions elsewhere, so why would he only do it here? Let's see. Laertes greets his father when he enters the room. Clearly his chat with Ophelia has been something of a little dalliance in and of itself, and it's clearly now a little awkward that Laertes has already said his farewells to his father, but seeing him again, he says, A double blessing is a double grace. Occasion smiles upon a second leave. There's nothing particularly complicated in this. It's quite an elegant way of acknowledging that, yeah, we already said goodbye, so goodbye again. But Polonius is concerned at all this chatter, since the conditions are good and it's time for the boat ride to Paris. Yet here, Laertes, aboard, aboard, for shame, the wind sits in the shoulder of your sail and you are stayed for. There, my blessing with thee. You might think that this would be enough. Sensible father encourages the son to get onto the ship and be gone already. The wind sits in the shoulder of your sail is quite a, a lovely way of saying that the weather is favourable. And everyone is waiting for Laertes so that they can capitalise on this good weather. There, my blessing with thee. Perhaps one final hug, and that might be the end of it. But this is where the caricature of Burley possibly comes in. The historical statesman was famous for his capacity to go on and on, and Shakespeare has Polonius now give an entire bonus speech here. So much for the prevailing wind. 
There's an awful lot in this rather famous speech that he gives. And indeed, there's also a fascinating parallel document that Burley wrote for his son when he was travelling to Paris. It's called Certain Precepts for the Well-Ordering of a Man's Life. For it, and for Polonius's, as I said, famous advice to Laertes, be sure to join us next time for episode 23. Thank you very much for listening and for joining in on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find further information and all of our previous episodes at thehamletpodcast.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do feel free to share, like, rate and subscribe. All of these are great ways of building the community and getting the word out. I appreciate your tuning in very much indeed, and I'll speak to you again next time.